And I was looking at the, re the rebuilding costs for the Bahamas because for them to rebuild anything, they have to import everything. So I started thinking and started doing more research and said, okay, well, what if we could produce a building material out of the ocean plastic? Costs us nothing to pick it up off the beach. Mm -hmm. It's free. Our, so we basically have a natural, or not a natural, an unnatural resource that's free, but we can use that if combined with the right other natural products, it could have a lot of strength and we could produce actual lumber. And I know it can be done because it's done here in Canada. There's a fantastic company on the East coast of Canada called Goodwood and they make wood out of the plastic that we don't recycle. I'm back with another episode. This one is about the Great Sea Project because our sea is truly great and we need to do everything we can to help protect it. This project focuses on making recycling a sustainable and possible option for small islands. Starting off in the Bahamas, Ryan headed this project to create a difference in these small communities to be able to not only collect the plastic, but recycle it and then process it into something that can be sold and reused. So let's get into it. Every day there's a new news story about the crisis facing our ocean. Whether it's the plastic issue, overfishing, pollution, if the oceans die, we die. Fortunately, we have plenty of environmental activists, marine conservationists, and eco-warriors who are out there every day fighting to protect our oceans and our Earth. On the Ocean Pancake Podcast, we're going to be hearing from some of them about how to decrease our environmental footprint, go plastic-free, participate in ocean conservation, cleanups, and even maybe some marine science. So welcome to the Ocean Pancake Podcast, where the goal is sustainability and living a turquoise life. My name is Kat Andreskova, and I'm your host today. Let's get into this week's episode. everyone and welcome to another episode of the Ocean Pancake Podcast. Today I'm here with the founder of the Great Sea Project. Ryan, welcome so much to Ocean Pancake. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm sorry that I'm a little bit all over the place, but I did just wake up. So I'm a little bit confused, but I'm so excited to do this episode. <laughs> Wonderful. I appreciate you getting up so early for me. It's not actually that early. I just, apparently it's school holidays, so I sleep in two. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan, um, I'm so excited to hear about this. So you actually reached out to me and you wanted to share this amazing project with more people. Um, so can you give us a little bit of a rundown? What is the Great Sea Project and what makes it so great? <laughs> Yeah, so I think the sea is great, which is why we fell on Great Sea Project. But um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, a few years ago, um, I was um, transitioning from one role into another, and I've been in the nonprofit sector for about fifteen years, and um, but mainly international development, never really environmental sciences or the ocean or ecosystems or anything like that. But it's something that's been very personal to me. Um, and um, I, I just was doing a lot of research and reading a lot of articles and I um, read this article about ocean plastic and you know the, the, the mounting problem that we have and um, <clears throat> I decided that it was it was too big a problem to ignore 
Um, and I'm not the type of person to just kind of sit to the wayside and I, mm -hmm. I like to you know throw my hat in the ring if you will so um, I started looking at ocean pro uh, plastic and the problem that that is presenting in front of us and and um, in particular with um, you know obviously Canada we have an ocean on both sides mm -hmm. um, but when I look at it yeah we have a, a municipal um, recycling program in Canada but when I started researching about the Caribbean and there is such a, a massive uh, plastic problem there uh, in terms of ocean plastic yeah. they don't have recycling programs um, on most of the islands in mm -hmm. fact I was hard-pressed to find any island with recycling um, so that led me down more research and more development and I decided you know what we're going to or I'm going to um, develop a program to bring recycling to the Caribbean in a cost-effective and sustainable way and that's where Great Sea Project was born. That's amazing because I, I have been to these small islands all over the world. It's the same story for the Maldives or the mm. Comoros or most of these gorgeous islands, which, you know, would be or should be pristine. Um, but because they have no proper waste disposal and zero recycling opportunities, the, the trash just accumulates on beaches. And where I lived, like the best solutions we had was to burn it, which is, yeah. you know, not great. <laughs> yeah. But which pretty much the solution that most of the islands have, because when you think of an island, you know, obviously real estate is limited. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you have generations of generations of trash and plastic and food waste and everything else going into this one small little swath of real estate that they've set aside as their dump. Mm -hmm. um, and the only way to actually manage it and maintain it is to burn it, um, which poses, you know, a host of other problems as well. And not to mention prior to it being burned, what if a hurricane blows through? Where does that trash yeah. go? Well, it goes everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. It ends back in the ocean. It ends up on other islands. Um, it's a pretty huge problem. It definitely is, especially since what I found in a lot of these small communities is plastic is a relatively new thing. So their method of disposal before was the ocean and their yep. knowledge about the ocean was, you know, there's this big massive thing and it comes and takes things away. So when you throw out your, may it be banana peels or coconut leaves or, you know, usually biodegradable things, throw it on the yeah. beach, tide comes in, takes it away. You don't have to worry about it. Now the same system is applied to plastic and non-biodegradable materials that have been brought into these uh, communities and suddenly it's not working so well um, it keeps coming back <laughs> exactly and when we look at the Caribbean in particular we're and I'm sure this applies to a lot of islands I mean the Caribbean doesn't have major exports the, the mm -hmm. their the GDP is supported by tourism and what what does tourism bring in and it brings in more plastic because they have to import things that the tourists yeah. want so most of the islands don't have a water table you can drink from so they rely on bottled water for their drinking needs. And this is not necessarily tourists even, it's just the local population. Mm -hmm. So then you throw that tourist mix into it and you have that volume increase tenfold. So where does all this waste go? It goes into the ocean. Now, there, there is a big swing on some of the islands to look at sustainable ways of doing things like you know getting rid of straws, which is a great step. 
um, mm -hmm. trying to look at better ways of um, utilizing a water that is available and, you know, big filtration systems. And they even did entertain recycling at one point, but the problem was is for the Bahamas in particular, they built a, a $6.3 million recycling plant. Mm -hmm. But you have 77 islands in that archipelago. Yeah. How do you get all the waste from those 77 islands in a logistically feasible way that's cost effective to that one location that that recycling plant is? It's not realistic. Uh, and they abandoned it. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And I mean, this is just that small piece of it. I mean, fundamentally as humans we what we need to do is stop using plastic and stop producing more plastic i mean there's enough plastic in the world already just in the oceans alone that you could use for another 150 to 200 years if you repurposed it never mind the amount that we continue to produce but the problem is is plastic is driven by oil yeah and we all know what oil does mm -hmm. um and the oil companies let's be honest, they rule the world. We haven't had a lot, we could have had electric cars 50 years ago had it not been for the big oil industry. So, you know, this is the same problem we're having there on a bigger scale because it's impacting our earth so much. I mean, you go diving and you can see uh, plastic waste at 50 feet, 100 feet, 200 feet under the water. Um, they even have found plastic in the Marianas Trench. I mean, mm -hmm. the deepest point in the ocean. So if it's there, it's everywhere. Yeah, it's definitely made its way through just about every water thing. We have the Mediterranean. Have you heard about how horrible that's looking now? It's just just trash. There's like no fish left. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely heartbreaking. And exactly as you said, it's unfortunately very closely tied to the oil industry. So, it, you know, the problem is massive, right? And I don't even know how to begin to talk about oil or tackle that whole situation. <laughs> um, well, but, yeah. I mean, that's a complete, we'd have to change who we are right now as humans, not yeah. 80 of the earth. So, you know, let's, let's start small and at least start to make an impact. And then hopefully we can advocate for those bigger things. And, you know, it's been the same for everything in my entire life and my entire nonprofit career is advocating uh, for change, uh, you know, whether it be women's rights, gender equality, whether it be just basic human rights, you know, food security, water security. I mean, it's been everything and we, it, it is a constant fight and that's why we exist today. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's why those of us who fight continue to fight and we, we look for uh, good solutions for that. So with the great sea project, we wanted a solution that, you know, from what I've done over the last 15 years in international development, we know that the most successful programs are always the ones that are community-based and the ones yeah. that are supported by the community. So that's what we want to do with Great Sea Projects. So, you know, creating a way to not only collect the plastic, but process it on site in a cost-effective way that we can, you know, be sustainable at doing, and then we can move it island to island um, or create different ports and islands you know there's a lot of organizations working in this space uh, and a lot of them are doing what in the nonprofit sector and in the international sector we see as flawed because they go in mm -hmm. they collect the plastic and they leave that's yeah. great they're collecting the plastic but what about the next wave yeah. and the next 
wave and the next wave. And there's no sustainability to that. So I give them props for their efforts, but I didn't want to do the same thing. You know, I could go out and yeah. sell bracelets and, you know, collect plastic and, and, you know, put lots of ads on the TV showing how great a job I do, but that's <laughs> all the problem. The problem is, is the plastic needs to be picked up and you need a, you need a solution for it. You can't just collect it. You know, there's companies out there that are collecting it, but then they incinerate it and that's not yeah. solving the problem. So um, that's why we wanted to grow. We wanted to start small community based and grow from there because we want to do it right. And we want to do it right the first time. And we know we're going to have to learn and, you know, try and fail, but that's okay. Um, so that's where we are now. Because it is so important to not only think about that short term you know, we, we've all been there. We've all done a beach cleanup and felt good about ourselves and felt like we've mm -hmm. made an impact. And then, you know, next week you go back to the same beach and the ocean has washed up more trash or people have deposited more trash. So it needs to be, um, that, you know, that full solution, that a closed cycle, which is what a lot of people are trying to aim for. You need to yeah. find something sustainable to do with the plastic. Cause like here, if I do a beach cleanup or something, just at home, you know, with my, with my partner, when I'm on a walk with my dogs, what do I do? I bring it home. I separate the recyclables, which I just recently found out we don't have recycling here where I live. So maybe I need to hit you up for this just <laughs> <laughs> for our, you know, uh, Western world, Australian rich town. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> it's a whole separate issue I'm having with the council now. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I'll put the recyclables um, into our containers for change, which is they give you back 10 cents and then you can donate that to, you know, sea rescue or animal rescue or whatever you want. But then the rest goes into my normal big bin that then gets picked up by the council that then goes to the dump. And I think it just gets dumped. So it, we need that solution. What happens once we collect that plastic and in so many of these places as we mentioned before they would burn it otherwise so exactly what you guys are doing is filling that gap that we really need which is from that collecting to the what what do we do now and i really like that that's what you're focusing on so can you describe a little bit more about what that thing is what unit what product you've uh, yeah, so <laughs> I, I, and I won't take all the credit for it because, uh, you know, there's a lot of fantastic folks mm. on the internet that I have, like Dave Haskins and a lot of the stuff he does has been absolutely unbelievable with his open source designs for machines and, you know, plastic extruders and grinders and ideas like that. So yeah. um, before I discovered him, though, um, I had this idea. I'm like, well, what if we took the recycling to the aisle? So they don't have it, but let's let's create something that we can put down there in a cost-effective way that will help us deliver, uh, deal with the volume. And the reason we did this is because um, in a lot of the, and I didn't know at this point what island we were going to start at. Mm -hmm. So I'll get to the project picking afterwards, but um, we wanted, you know, something that we could build here um, because I know that resources are plentiful here in Canada and that I could then ship down. And I knew to ship it down, I'm going to have to put it on truck and then boat. And I wasn't happy about, you know, the, the carbon emissions, but the reality is, is it's a, it's a small blip in that. So, uh, you know, we'll move.
move forward with that. So what we did is we designed and created a recycling plant within a shipping container. And shipping containers are so easy to find now. They lay around everywhere because mm -hmm. they, a lot of times single or only used twice and then they abandon them. Oh, really? Uh, so we took a 20-foot shipping container and cut it in half. Oh, there's yards and yards and yards of them here. Even in the Caribbean. I mean, you go to some of the islands there and they get shipped down with goods and then they sit. Um, people will use them for sheds and you know our final location where this one ended up we that was the only government approval we needed was to leave the shipping container there um because they have they they care about abandoned shipping containers and it's a real problem so you actually need to get government approval to leave something there so we built a a a recycling a very basic recycling processing plant inside a 10-foot shipping container mm -hmm. Um, we built a grinding unit, a wash plant, a sorting table, and then a number of sorting racks as well. Um, we had other ideas for other machines to go in there, like an extruder and some other items to help deal with plastic, like the next step kind of thing. Um, but obviously, we're I'm funding this all myself out of pocket, so cost was a factor. Um, and, you know... Um, we built everything here in the city and then we shipped it down. Um, our first location received the shipping, the, uh, the recycling plant on uh, July 17th this year. Slight delays because of COVID, but we're happy to say that it's up and running uh, and processing plastic. And what this will allow us to do was, I looked at the models that were out there and I looked at all the guys that were out collecting um plastic and all the guys in this space and i said okay great they're collecting the plastic but then what they're sitting on it i mean there's either a warehouse full of plastic somewhere um or they're incinerating it they're not actually talking about their end use but i didn't want to be that and also i looked at the logistical um cost of moving bales of plastic off island and to me it wasn't cost effective so i thought okay if i can grind the plastic on site then logistically it's going to cost a lot less to move it off island if i need mm -hmm. to um and also it's it's now um you know a more usable uh product so we basically are sorting washing cleaning and grinding on site so then we're ending up with a shred i can take 15 big laundry uh um, detergent bottles so the big and I don't want to give any name uh, <laughs> recognition to any of these companies but big laundry detergent bottles the you know um, and I can grind 15 of them into a handful of plastic well it's so, more shame than recognition anyway right because they well, right uh, they didn't ensure proper disposal of their products <laughs> <laughs> but I can grind 15 down into a handful of plastic so now yeah. You know, I can collect and process plastic for six months before I need to move it off island, before I have a volume that is, you know, weight is the same, but the actual physical volume and the mass is a lot cheaper to move. Um, we're negotiating right now with our the local ferry service because they bring down product um, and they come down with a full boat, but when they leave, it's empty. So I'm negotiating with them to deadhead all the product back in where we need to bring it back onto the mainland. So, you know, we're looking at cost effective in different ways. <clears throat> and as we, you know, went into this, we looked at the ocean plastic problem, but then when we're talking to the community, we talked 
to them about what they do with their plastics and they don't recycle obviously because there is no recycling program so i yeah. said to them if i offered you an option to drop it off would you do that and they mm -hmm. said absolutely we would so now we're building the community program where we're creating drop-off bins all over the island and the community then will drop off all their plastic there and we will process it and then that is a highly saleable product because it's not it hasn't been in the ocean so it's ocean bound mm -hmm. plastic um so there's two different streams of plastic that we're removing ocean bound and actually ocean plastic um so that's where we are now now the next step is what do we do with the ocean plastic because although there are all these wonderful claims out there that companies are using ocean plastic the truth is is they're not or they're yeah. using such a small percentage of it and again i'm not going to call out names but there is a, a a shoe company we'll just mm -hmm. say a very shoe company that has touted their ocean sea shoe but the fact is is when you read the fine print it's not a lot of ocean plastic that actually went into it. it's more ocean bound and technically speaking, anything could be ocean-bound plastic or designated as ocean-bound. So if I use something in Toronto where I live, even though I don't have an ocean anywhere near me, mm -hmm. technically I could say it's ocean-bound because it may or may not end up in the ocean at some point. So there's a big designation there, and I think there's a lot that needs to change in that respect. So we wanted to address that. Well, it's also because for anyone who has collected plastic from the ocean, you'll see it's, it's been degraded by the sun and salt to yep. the point where it crumbles in your hands. So yep. I think you raise a really crucial point where, you know, we may be fooling ourselves like, oh yeah, they're going to reuse this, but that's not possible because, you know, it has degraded to a point where I don't think it can be upcycled into shoes, let's say, or yep. other but items. But it can be, and that's the thing, and that's what we're developing now. Mm -hmm. So that was, I didn't want to put stuff in the landfill. And you're right, you pick up stuff sometimes and it's been in the ocean or in the sun for too mm -hmm. long and you pick it up, it literally crumbles in your hand. This is why we have the microplastic problem we have. Yeah. I mean, on average, every human ingests a credit card size amount of plastic per year. Imagine after 50 years, how much plastic you've consumed. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that whole idea. That's scary. <laughs> and this is, you know, it's so small that we don't even see it. And it's in the fish. And you know, if you're a vegan, which, you know, obviously you're not eating that, but for, for people that eat fish or meat mm -hmm. even, finding it in tons of different sources, right? Even in, in plants now. Yeah. Um, you know, the it's fact in our is, tap water now, yeah, apparently. We're injecting it. So... Um, that's a scary thought in itself. And if we mm -hmm. don't start to do something with this, then, but I look at, I look at it as a massive problem, but I also look at it as massive opportunity. And, you know, I, I've said it before when I've talked to people and I said, you know, ocean plastic can be a commodity. Um, and, you know, let's, it's, I wish it didn't exist, but it does. And yeah. it's the reality that we live in. So let's use it for what it is. And it has a value. And the mm -hmm. thing is, we can do something with it to, to prevent it from doing more damage in the ocean and also hopefully to prevent more plastic being produced. I mean, when you look at the numbers of how much plastic is being produced today, Coca-Cola, which is the biggest offender, yeah. 
and I will say their name because they're so terrible. Um, <laughs> they produce 200,000 bl- plastic bottles per minute. Oh, per that's so minute. horrible. Now you do the math. I mean, the, the head of their sustainability got up at Davos this year and said that they continue to produce plastic bottles because the consumer wants it. And it's, I'm sorry, but that's completely false. And it, it was a cop-out. They do it because it's cheap. And it's shifting blame as well. You know, it's like, oh, well, it's not us. Exactly. So <laughs> what, what, as I learned more about ocean plastic and, uh, and saw like the volume that was washing up on shore, I was like, we have to be able to do something about this. And we have to be able to use it somewhere. Since we do not have a sponsor for this week's episode, the sponsor is you guys, Patreon. I am so thankful to have you guys supporting me on Patreon, uh, where I share behind the scenes tips and tricks and things that I'm doing, photos from my everyday life and what it's like recording podcasts and going diving and doing cleanups and all sorts of things. So if you guys want to get involved and help me continue the work I'm doing, it would mean the world to me. Head on over to Patreon Ocean Pancake and you can get access to all sorts of discounts behind the scenes and yeah more and a fantastic community of ocean warriors so pick if you want to be a turtle a shark or an orca and let's dive into marine conservation together it was around the same time that a big hurricane had just blown through bahamas Mm -hmm. um, which is where our first location is and i was looking at the the rebuilding costs for the bahamas because for them to rebuild anything, they have to import everything. So I started thinking and started doing more research and said, okay, well, what if we could produce a building material out of the ocean plastic? Costs us nothing to pick it up off the beach. Mm-hmm. It's free. Our, so we basically have a natural, or not a natural, an unnatural resource that's free, but we can use that if combined with the right other natural products it could have a lot of strength and we could produce actual lumber. And I know it can be done because it's done here in Canada. There's a fantastic company on the East coast of Canada called Goodwood and they make wood out of the plastic that we don't recycle. And they use it for deck boards and fence boards, things that have a long lifespan. So when you build a deck or a fence, you're not building it for five years, Mm -hmm. you're building for 20 to 30 to 40 years. And it's not going to end up back in the, in the, in the um, uh, landfill because at the end of its lifespan, it can be re-recycled. So what could we use? We know we need to deal with it. We need to do something with it. So what's the best thing we can do with it right now? Um, and that, so that's where we are now. We're doing research and development on the best way to use that, that ocean plastic in making build, building materials that then the islands can help to rebuild to reduce the cost of rebuilding. And um, it also could generate revenue for the islands themselves. I think here, um, I was just looking at the posts. We go down to the boat, our, and the boat ramp, like the pylon things, I'm not quite sure what they're called, but that are holding the ramp where you walk to go into your boat. They look like they're made out of uh, bits and pieces of old plastic. Mm. So yeah, you, There's a ton you can do with it. Yeah, I think about, it is around you know, already. It's just about making it more mainstream and um, making it easier. And this is you guys have created such a great way to have these smaller communities be able to get involved. I did want to ask, you know, your, your main 
focus was to make sure it was community involved and we know that that's how um, all these projects actually keep going after the organizers leave. So when you, you were saying I can change it into a handful of um, plastic shards, is it just you or do you have a big team or can you teach the local um, people to kind of be in charge of this unit or do they get to keep a unit or how does it work in terms of that? Yeah, so I needed a place to put the first unit. And the, mm-hmm. the, this is our first year of operations, our second year mm-hmm. of existing, but the first year of actually operating. And so I needed a location and the easiest way was to get private land. Um, yeah. So I, I was very fortunate that one night I was up late and uh, working on this and I was watching TV as background noise and I, I ran across this TV show in Canada and it's called Island of Brian and, and Brian Baumler is a Canadian and he has a bunch of those home improvement shows and mm-hmm. he had just purchased a resort in Bahamas and it had been uh, abandoned for like 30 years and he was redoing this resort and it happened to be uh, they made a TV show out of it and so I reached out to him and I said you know this is what I want to do. And the reason I reached out to him is because the episode I happened to fall upon was him picking up plastic on the beach with his son Mm -hmm. and talking about the problem that exists. So after speaking with them, um, after a lot of persistence, they, they said, you know, we'd love for you to put your first unit here. And we have adopted this community as our own like we're not just here for you know go in make this resort and then walk away we we want to invest in the community because that's really important to them not only that but what i really liked is when they built the resort they built it with sustainability first Mm -hmm. there's no plastic used on site none zero you will not that's amazing everything is you reuse in fact the island in particular that we are located on is called South Andros, which is the largest of the Bahamian islands, but it's the least populated. It is also unique that it actually has its own water table, which most of the islands don't. And so what they did is they installed a, uh, a water filtration system on site so that they would never use bottled water and they've never had to import water. So they, it's like a quadruple filtration system that filters the groundwater. Um, um, which most locals don't have the opportunity to actually drink. And then they use that so that all the rooms get actual glass bottle waters um, and is refillable every day. So, um, but they put everything from their water use, their water recycling, their water filtration, everything on site is completely sustainable. And it's pretty brilliant. And so I thought to myself, these are the perfect partners because not only are they helping the community out with a lot of their other efforts, and they raised a ton of money when the hurricane blew through to help with the rebuilding efforts, um, they've put sustainability first. So when I say we, uh, they're included in the we, and also right now they've been gracious enough to allow me to kind of borrow their maintenance guy. Um, so I've the gentleman that does all the maintenance for the site, um, he helps when I'm not there. Uh, sort and grind the plastic and get it ready. Uh, I still do arrange all the logistics and I get down as much as possible. Although with COVID, it hasn't been as possible. Um, And then the goal is to hire somebody full-time to do it. 
um, mm -hmm. eventually when we're up and running and driving revenue through it. So, yeah, it's a small team. It's myself, and I have a lot of support from my wife. She is the most supportive person in the world, and she supports me where she can, but right now it's myself. That's that's fantastic, and I really like the sound of that um, eco lodge. And once borders are open, I would love to go visit because it's so fascinating to see people who are really putting, as the saying goes, money <laughs> where their mouth is, and building yeah. these incredible, sustainable solutions from start to finish. Where, um, as you said, like even the water treatment um, is considered in in the design to ensure that the whole place is sustainable that's very cool. yeah everything from their planting you know uh everything from in this this place has been designed with the sustainability first which is pretty fantastic to see and it's more expensive to do it right and oh, it is, yeah. a lot of money into this um you know um to put that extra money into it um you know, it shows that there's that real foresight into it, but um, they're pretty fantastic individuals as well. And they've really embraced this in the community. And I'm very proud to, to partner with them. Um, and I wouldn't if I, if I didn't believe uh, in that. So they've given me a real opportunity, but they've also opened a lot of doors in terms of, you know, making those community contacts, uh, which are so important. Um, and then also allowing me a space to to put the uh, the unit, which is um, pretty awesome too. So that is that is fantastic. I know where when I lived in the Comoros in Moheli, um, I was lucky enough to work for an eco lodge as well. I was the diving instructor there. So um, and the the boss Hans, he is exactly how you describe your friend, just a visionary wanting to get involved in the local community and build something which not only provides jobs but you know education and mm -hmm. i i remember having that interview and just being like i really want to work for you i really want to go there and like look at the reefs and like do studies of the reefs and learn more about them and educate the local population and all these things and he was just like yes that is that is what we want you know people who <laughs> are passionate about these things. So I got to go there and they were also working on a waste um, disposal program. Mm -hmm. It's it's so difficult in so many of these places. So it's really, it's really impressive the work you've done. And I'm so excited to hear more about how it's going. And yeah. I hope you, you know, keep Ocean Pancake updated with Great Sea Project because you know, it's a long journey ahead and yeah. I think you've made a really fantastic start. And, um, what, what, what's next? What is your next plan? Um, yeah. So the next plan is, um, we actually are creating with a, a, a local charity in Bahamas, um, a really cool education program for local youth. Uh, and as well, I hope to transplant it here to Canada. Um, the, surprisingly, you know, a lot of <laughs> what I learned from, I have a nine-year-old at home and, uh, uh, although he's doing virtual school right now, uh, when last year, when he was in school, he, he said, daddy, they don't, they don't do recycling in my school. And I'm like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Um, because it's not easy because kids don't let kids don't do it. And then the, the administration doesn't want to sort it. So, um, I'm hoping to bring that education program here as well. Um, mm -hmm. so it's a, it's a three day, um, kind of campish, um, 
but it teaches kids about recycling and the benefits and also the you know what the damage it does on our environment because um, not only producing um, the fossil fuels that drive the plastic industry but also the plastic industry itself and the damage it does to the earth um, but also making recycling fun and, and not only looking at recycling but repurposing and um, doing different things with it so that's on the horizon um, as well we have the, the, the research and development for the plastic wood, which I haven't found a cool name to call it yet, but we will um, <laughs> fail of that. Um, and we'll just keep driving. Um, you know, we're always looking for support, of course, um, but um, in not only um, um, ideas, um, but also partners and, and looking for people to get involved. And, um, and the next we'll be looking at um, putting more units uh, in the Bahamas to start. Um, I'm, ha I'm having conversations with about four other islands, not in the Bahamas, but in the Caribbean as well, who have now expressed interest in bringing recycling to their island. Um, and we'll just see where it goes from there. I mean, um, I will build as many units as I can afford to build right now, and then we'll eventually bring on some financial partners when we can um, to help offset that cost a little bit and um, you know I'm fortunate in my life that um, uh, I've been successful and my wife and I have been really good and we want to pass that on and you know help benefit the earth and leave a better place for our son. That is beautiful. I don't I don't have a son but um, <laughs> when and if I do that is definitely the mission <laughs> I'll be um, following through. I'm trying to prepare it for the future yeah. generations already. I, <laughs> anyway, well, I'll tell you, it, it was uh, it was the 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 single greatest moment in my life, and uh, also the the moment in my life that changed it the most was having him. So, um, I will say that uh, you know, the Earth is better off for him being born. Oh, oh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> maybe maybe even more so because now you're even more inspired to um, to protect it for him. Exactly. Yeah. And he's, he's the most supportive uh, cheerleader I have. Um, <laughs> proudly uh, joins me with everything I do. So. Oh, excellent. Um, he's into the recycling. He's teaching his friends about it. <laughs> absolutely. And he's all about, uh, you know, the, the supporting every aspect of it. And, you know, when I see him in the ocean and, you know, <clears throat> like I said, I was born in, in Canada and in an area of Canada that we don't have an ocean anywhere clear mm -hmm. or close by. But, um, you know, the very first time I went to, to the Caribbean, um, I knew immediately I was home. Yeah. And when I got in the water, you couldn't get me out. And it has been that way every single time we've gone down. Um, every time <laughs> we go, I'm like, I'm not getting, a, we'll, let's extend our trip another like, you know, two weeks if we can but <laughs> no, it's like oh no but you know so yeah we're there. that that's that's why I moved to Australia and just haven't gone back home to Europe my parents are like yeah. seriously I'm like well you know <laughs> sorry <laughs> you guys are so much further ahead and I'm I'm a little envious of all the amazing organizations that are operating out, out of Australia and just the the gen, genuine mindset and the the difference in opinion and understanding that this is the only earth we get um it doesn't seem to be that consumption mentality there as much um so you know keep doing what you're doing i, I will say it's incredible but it is very like polarized 
there is a large percentage of people who are exactly as you describe. And I have felt so inspired and just feeling like I'm in the right place and so excited to do all this work because it's like people around me are doing things. It's all good. You know, it's a mission. We're a team. And then um, I also live in a mining town. Um, mm. So here I get made fun of for ordering a vegan <laughs> meal and, you know, that I choose not to use plastic bags and I get, you know, I get met with discontent even because I don't take a straw at a bar. So Australia has many of these amazing people, but there's also many people who fully rely on oil and gas and mining for uh, their income. And mm -hmm. I think for those people, it, it's very difficult to, <laughs> you know, volunteer or work for things which are against what puts food on the table. Um, mm -hmm. So it's back to what we were talking about, about oil kind of running the world in that sense. It does. But hopefully this will come to an end one day. Oh, it has to. We are, we're, life, we're creating uh, that shift, right? So <laughs> it will exactly. happen. And, you know, the reality is, is there's other things you can do to make money and to be sustainable. And, mm -hmm. you know, in, when I look at, and this is one of my primary motivators for starting the project in the Caribbean is, you know, I look at the, I'm like, you know, I, myself, I've, I've done it. You know, I was, I've been a tourist for, you know, 30 years down there. So, yeah. you know, I look at the, they contribute, the tourism industry contributes 88%, if not more to the plastic waste, but you know, what do we give back? Right. Um, and it's not okay. We enjoy the ocean. We enjoy it. It's heartbreaking five years difference, like five years ago to now going yeah. diving, seeing the bleached reefs and the no coral and, you know, the less fish. I mean, 10 years ago, if I showed pictures of 10 years ago and I showed pictures of now, you know, on one of the reefs, it's like, okay, is that the same place? Because you wouldn't recognize it. Um, and this is because of climate change and climate change, all of these pieces fit together, you know, plastics yeah. and oil production and fossil fuels and, 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 you know, everything we're doing, um, it's yeah. got to stop. Yeah. It's, and I it's think too much, but you're, you're focusing on one aspect and you're doing a great job. So that's, I'd go crazy if yeah. you <laughs> all of them, right? You got to pick and to, choose. Yeah. <laughs> Just, as much as I want to fix the world and, and, you know, change it, I also know that I'm only one person and, you know, I can only focus on so much. So oh, definitely. <laughs> this is something that is, you know, and, you know, I, I've said it once, I've, I'll say it a thousand times is, is that we have this resource now sitting there on basically under our feet when we're walking down the beach. Um, and we can choose to use it or ignore it. Um, ignoring it's gonna cause more of a problem, but using it and doing something about it is gonna create some change. And that's the only way to do it. And we'll start, I'll start one island at a time, but I guarantee in 20 years, we will be impacting every island down there and you know, hopefully continuing to grow. Um, because well, hopefully going international and uh, helping islands all over the world. <laughs> We will, we will, I will take it as far as I can. So, <laughs> you know, it's my legacy. Excellent. Um, we all need one. <laughs> I do want to end this podcast with the question that I ask all of my guests. And that is, what is the one piece of advice 
that you would give to people who want to help our oceans now? Oh, start somewhere. It needs to happen. Um, I think that, you know, with everybody that has a thought or an idea, that's where this started for me. It was literally a sketch on a napkin. It was mm -hmm. me thinking and pondering and pontificating to myself, what do I want to do with my life? And that's where this started. Um, you know, do your due diligence, research, inform yourself. I mean, like everything in life, how do you make any decisions without actually researching and knowing what you want to do? So, um, and just know that this is the only earth we get. Once yeah. it's gone, that's it. There's no turning back. Like we're, they've said we're past that tipping point at least three times now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I don't think we are. I think we're there. But I, I think that with enough passionate people, people who love the ocean, just think about it. When you go to the beach for a day away, and you've worked five days a week, six days a week, whatever, many days, and you go to a beach and you get to wade into that ocean and you get to enjoy that salt water and the freshness and the clean, the clean water. Imagine if that wasn't there for you. Yeah. What would you do? Where would you go? So I would say the advice is follow your heart. And, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing that's too big. Um, you know, if I find that a lot of times in life we get caught up in the, you know, it's not the right time or I don't have the right enough money to do it. Or I don't, you know, I don't know how to start, but if you don't start, and you're always making an excuse on why you're not doing it, then you're never going to do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's never the right time. There's always something. So do it. If you're passionate about it and you want to do it, then grab a hold of it and do it. Um, and especially with the ocean. I mean, you know, just looking at the sea life and the whales and the dolphins and the sharks and everybody that's under threat because of humans. I mean, yeah. it's, it's our turn to protect them let's let's be honest um you know we need to start doing something and we need to start doing it now so i would say pull, follow your passion and hey if you need advice go on my website send me an email i'm happy to have a conversation i will make the time because the earth is worth it that is beautifully put and for everyone listening all of the social media links website are going to be in the show notes as per usual on ocean pancake um, but great sea project. Everyone can also just Google that. That's pretty easy to remember. Uh, the GSP. <laughs> um, so you can you can go and support this project and um, you know see what uh, how do I put it a well thought out mission looks like because I think you really hit the nail on the head with the with the problem how to get people involved and then finding a solution. So I think it's, I think it's amazing. And I really hope that these kind of units will be available to places everywhere at some point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to build them. It's, it was, it was awesome. So. All right. Wonderful. Ryan, thank you so much for being here with me. Um, any parting last words? No, uh, you know what? Keep swimming. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> uh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate it allowing me to share my story.
As always, I would just like to thank Ryan one more time for taking the time out of his busy day to jump onto the podcast and share this amazing project with all of us. I definitely didn't know it was happening and I hope you guys enjoyed it and learned something new and feel inspired to get out there and start something because that's the best thing we can do. Just start somewhere, share our passions, protect our planet. Little things will add up to be big things. So together it is possible. As always, I also would like to say thank you to Graham Mose, who's the mind behind the music in this podcast. He is based in Brisbane, so if you're over there, you can, uh, yeah, show him some love, go to some live shows, because we're lucky enough that things are open in certain places in Australia. For the rest of you, I hope you are staying safe, sane, taking care of each other, your family, and of course, our oceans. I'll see you guys next time.